It takes a village to raise a child. It's quite rare today to be surrounded by friends and family when having a child. And so, for many, especially first-time parents, it can be a lonely journey with a lot of unexpected discoveries along the way. The aim of a village is to give you a place to hear honest stories from regular people on the parenting front line. No unsolicited advice, what's right for one person might not be for another. Take what you need, ignore what you don't. Thank you for listening. Your host, Poppy. Before giving birth to my daughter Tiggy, it felt like all the stories I heard were either I breathed the baby out or we all nearly died. Whilst both of these happen, it wasn't my experience of birth. For me, birth flows like life through highs and lows, positives and negatives, laughs and tears. Each story you hear will be unique to that person, because whilst there may be similarities, no two births are exactly alike. This is Lizzie's birth story. Lizzie had an elective C-section and she talks about dealing with the opinions of others when she made this decision. She also talks about a trip to South Africa that went south, and I don't mean geographically. So we have got with us Lizzie um, and in the room with Lizzie is her little dog Roxy um, who's making a few little growls every now and then um, and I and Cora uh, Lizzie's daughter is asleep for now <laughs> um, <laughs> and I'm here with Tiggy so Tiggy is awake and she may make some little noises in the background so Lizzie how old is Cora now? That's a good question. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she was a year at the end of January, so she has just turned fifteen months. Yeah. And so why don't we rewind right to the beginning? Yeah. Um you were you guys were were you trying to get pregnant? Yes. So we uh in summer of twenty twenty my implant ran out um but I didn't bother getting it out because it was covid and everyone was like there's lots of backlog and it was fine to leave it in for a bit um wasn't gonna you know tear a hole in my arm or whatever um and then we moved so then it just got put to the bottom of the priority list um but in the at the beginning of 2021 um I I decided that I was ready to maybe start having a family my husband Steve is six and a half seven years older than me and had been ready for a while but he never put any pressure on he was very much like well we we both want a family but it has to be you that wants to do it so we I had my implant finally removed in the March of 2021 and then uh, recently I've been looking back over the app that I use to track my cycles and I thought we'd done the dirty at the right time or in April of that year but apparently we didn't um, and then May, um, we did, um, and so we used natural cycles and um, those cheap kind of throwaway ovulation sticks. Um, and so around, well, 14th, 15th of May, apparently, 2021, um, we conceived. Um, First of all, so you, I know obviously that you, you didn't think that you were pregnant 
at first or you wish why why were you so sure that you weren't or would you'd struggle to get pregnant or that you weren't pregnant yeah so to put it in context um I'm an IVF baby my mum is unable to conceive naturally not through anything genetic um but when she was late teens she had appendicitis and was rushed to get her appendix removed and um in the process of getting that removed um one and three quarters of her other ovary. I don't know how that works. Um, so one ovary and that fallopian tube, not sure which one it is, um, and three quarters of the ovary, but the fallopian tube remains on the other side. Oh. Um, so she was basically told that it was very unlikely she'd have children when she was 17. Um, and then she met my dad and they, that was kind of like, well, they just never have children and blah, 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 blah. But then this newfangled thing came out that was IVF. And lo and behold, it, I came along. Um, I was their first trans... Well, they did a frozen egg transfer and then me. I was a live egg transfer, which I don't think they do anymore. But anyway, um, and then she subsequently got pregnant twice more with three kids. So um, after me, two so twins and then another. Um so I had always been very aware that fertility was not something to take for granted and that um, pregnancy was not a given and that even if you got pregnant, it might not happen. So uh, I was I was kind of I didn't really do much reading about how to get pregnant, to be honest. I had an app that um, you and a couple of our other friends had had and were enjoying in terms of it being good to track your to not get pregnant. Um, but obviously it had the opposite you can very easily switch it so started downloading that didn't really love it found it a bit demanding which I know you find hilarious but I found it quite and actually subsequently I have found other people who do find it annoying that you have to take temperature every morning and find it a bit naggy (laughs) but anyway so May came um had sex at the right time um and then my I would have been due on roughly around the end of May um and, and you this is obviously during vaccine times yes yeah, so on the 27th or 28th of may 2021 i had my covid vaccine and now i don't actually remember them asking about me but they definitely would have asked i oh, is there any chance that you're pregnant because at that point it was still like early on it was our first vaccine it was only it was early on that i don't think they were suggesting that pregnant women have the vaccine at that time i don't know um, or especially not in like, you know, I would have been four weeks pregnant. Um, and I said, no, I was so convinced that it wouldn't be a thing and it wouldn't work and it wouldn't. I just didn't think I was pregnant anyway. So that was like, I think I would have been due on that day, had no symptoms whatsoever, no sore boobs. I had a bit of cramping because um, I think I said to you when you just found out you're pregnant I felt like I was always due on my period I was coming on my period so for like the week or so that I was due on and I was just kind of like oh well I've got a bit of cramping and whatever so it'll turn up eventually and just every time I went to the loo nothing was there so um, yeah and that went on for a couple of weeks no symptoms really at all that I can remember I've looked back over my diary and over my pictures of what I was doing at that time so you had a it during that time as well, didn't you? Yeah, the do was the 12th of June. So I would have been, by that point, been over two weeks late. And I remember talking to you and being like, I'm two weeks late for my period. And you were like, that's not a thing. That's not like, that's not like a, that's a bit late. That's quite late. And I was like, yeah. well, yeah, no. and I think you were like, could you be pregnant? And I was like, what, 
no not uh, maybe i don't know i don't really remember it would also be quite a lot but that day was the first day that i had any any anything in hindsight that was a sign in that it was a really hot day do you remember it was boiling hot yeah and so we're having some we're sitting outside we're having some wine and stuff which was nice and it just wasn't going down very well <laughs> like it wasn't making me feel sick yeah it was just like you know when you're just like I just don't fancy this I just don't I know like but anyway push through <laughs> uh, and then had the hendy and then went on holiday the day after went up to the Lake District um didn't really think about it but was beginning to like have a bit of an aversion to coffee was a bit like or oh, not really fancying coffee and not being the biggest coffee drinker but definitely would drink enough of it um and then yeah so it got to a week after that and still in the period and we were in very remote scotland that you know they have like one pharmacy in the middle of nowhere um and then um got a pack of two messed up the first one <laughs> uh you messed up a pregnancy test where do we <laughs> well it's quite hard if you've never done something like that before it's quite hard to like we in a straight line i don't know um uh so then left it for another couple of days because I was like oh, I've got that wrong <laughs> and then eventually took one <laughs> um and I couldn't look at it I'd peed because by that point I was like well if I'm not pregnant there's something quite sinister going on because I'm now nearly three and a half weeks late for my period or three weeks late for my period left it in the bathroom and made my husband go and look at it so he actually found out first that we were pregnant um he was like no we're not pregnant and I was like oh right okay means I've probably got ovarian cancer or something and then he came out like psych I was like okay well. <laughs> really, really brilliant <laughs> I was about I think I was eight weeks pregnant I think yeah. and it had an impact in that um I was then I mean I don't know why because it's not that late I was considered a late booking in um so I didn't actually have my like 12 week scan until I think it was more like 13, 14 weeks. Yeah. yeah. So I was very much convinced that getting pregnant wouldn't happen for me. And it did. So I was very fortunate. So then after that, you had, did you have a kind of the usual kind of nausea and how was your kind of pregnancy generally? Yeah. So from by that point, by the time I took the pregnancy test, I was feeling a bit sick. But like not like vomit, just a bit like not a bit queasy. Um, and then I, a friend of ours, um, said basically that the only way that she wasn't sick in the mornings was eating something very small, very early, like literally waking up and get something in her stomach, which I pretty much adopted straight away. And and the only I only didn't do it three or four times, and each of those times I was sick. Um, but by and I remember I covered Wimbledon, which is like the end of June, early January, early July. So that would have been about about the kind of 12-ish, 11, yeah. 12 mark. And I was really tired. Like, I'm not someone who really kind of comes home and sits on the couch, but that's all I could do. Um, but then by the time the friend of ours whose wedding it, whose hen day it was, had her wedding at the end of July, I was fine. Yeah. I, and I... Um, in terms of my pregnancy was actually I was very lucky um I had no real complications uh because I'm not that small I my BMI is quite always on the higher end so I went and had my gestational diabetes because I kind of qualified for that but that was fine um I 
what happened in the early stages. Now I was really lucky. I had the placenta at the front, so we didn't really feel Cora in the same way that you felt Tiggy, in that I felt her. We were in, do you remember we went away to yeah. Norfolk one of the first times that I felt her kick, and that was what, se- September? Yeah. Yeah. So that in four or four or four ish months, four or yeah. five months. Um, and it was never like the cool videos that you've got of Tiggy moving inside you. Like it was never like that. Um, so, and I definitely found it very difficult that period where you know that you're pregnant. First, I found it difficult that I was being sick or feeling really sick and really tired. But then when that passed, I found that even more difficult because then I was like, well, I don't know if something's going wrong. <laughs> Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I couldn't trust that everything was just fine. Yeah. And so I did start feeling her kick. So that kind of month three, month four, I found probably the most difficult of it all psychologically yeah. because I think that something had gone wrong and that she wasn't alive anymore. I didn't know the baby wasn't alive. Did you ever have more scans because of that or anything to follow up? I, no, I had a private scan at, when we got back from holiday about nine weeks because um, my mum had a history of eptopics, but I've since actually done some research and an eptopic would have would have miscarried by then um but I just wanted to make sure everything was all right and that there was a heartbeat um because I wanted to before we told anyone um even my parents because I just wanted to make sure that everything was kosher to be honest but now any scans between the 12 and 20 I did have more scans later on but no not in that period yeah and so you had an elected cesarean in the end um let's start from what made you choose at what point did you start thinking about birth I guess and what you wanted to do and what kind of where did your what's your journey with that I knew as soon as I knew I was pregnant I didn't want to give birth vaginally (laughs) I just yeah I didn't want that I didn't like any of the sound of any of it didn't sound like it was something I wanted to do quite something I just I didn't like the idea of not knowing you know what was going to happen obviously you know what's going to happen but like there's so much that can happen yeah. in, a, in a vaginal birth um I and I was just like yeah I, I would like to have a cesarean um and I didn't know at that point that you could have an elective cesarean on the NHS um and it was my friend actually who I, I had to tell I was pregnant quite her name's Mary I had to tell I was pregnant re- earlier than I would have liked to because she's a PR and she organized events in London and she kept like banging on about me going to this thing that I couldn't do it was like go-karting because I was pregnant and I had to eventually be like look I, I can't come because I'm pregnant and she was like oh that's amazing um and she had two elective cesareans on the end um when right at the beginning when they first made it that you could choose to have a cesarean on the nhs and she basically i was at wimbledon and which she like talked me through it on the phone she was like look it's going to be really tricky they basically all the health professionals try and put you off as much as possible they'll tell you all sorts of statistics that will trying to scare you um, they will basically because there's no reason like physically for you well that time I didn't know but she was like if there's no reason physically that you need to have a cesarean they will try and put you off um, because of well I, I assume it's because of money um, and because I think um, they probably don't have the staff for everyone to 
choose to have an elective cesarean um but I knew I knew I didn't really want to I didn't want to give birth vaginally um I assumed I couldn't have a, a cesarean electively on the NHS so I looked private <laughs> which was a shock I was like well it can't be that expensive it's like 20 grand um so I was like well that's not really an option and I do have private health care so I had a little look into that route but it doesn't again it would have covered cesareans if there was a reason but not because that's what I wanted um but yeah so we started that process early on my kind of initial booking in appointment I was like I I, I want to have a cesarean um and that was kind of the path that I'd, I chose and that's what I wanted um, yeah, I think, yeah, it'd be interesting to know a little bit of once you'd had that experience, sorry, ticking some, having a little moment. Uh, once you just made that decision, what? who was the first person you spoke to? And I know you had a lot of resistance along the way. Um, and, you know, that could be your journey. Or it could be everyone who has an elective cesarean journey. But it'd be interesting to know what you found um, happened as you went through. Yeah, so I can't remember the kind of um, the point that basically what happens is you kind of say that you want an elective cesarean and then um, I can't remember how many weeks or months in they kind of do a call with um, your trust. Or, I mean, again, this was still in COVID, so it might not be a call actually, but I had a call with someone who basically goes through all the um leaflets and says and they very much try and like get you to say that you're scared because um there is a condition where you're like terrified of of childbirth I can't remember what it's called but they very much try and they're like are you terrified like that's what they try and get you to say again I think because it tick box um but they um but I it wasn't that I'm scared (laughs) I mean yes there was an element of that I don't think anyone's not uh, slightly scared of, of giving birth um but um it was it wasn't it wasn't that um but uh, that was I, I can't remember when that was that was probably maybe like halfway through the pregnancy but in terms of like so that has to happen and then they kind of tell you all these things and whatever and it's up to you really to do the research and, and see whether or not it's um to be taken with a pinch of salt which I would say is um, a lot of the kind of stats that you were given when you were trying to have a home birth with gestational diabetes. It was a very similar thing. Um, So there was that resistance, but there was also, I mean, not resistance, but there was definitely um, opinions (laughs) about it. Um, My mum was the first to be like, oh, too posh to push, are you? Which was ironic, seeing as she had a cesarean as well. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, which but that was kind of the the beginning of it in that it was like right okay and um my friends my mum's friends like a family friend is a midwife at Lister Hospital which is not too far from here and um she was the same she was like why do you want a cesarean like I was like because I do and she's a midwife like she's a she's a and it that is just that's just the um that kind of epitomizes the situation really doesn't it that it's like that and then just generally people were very much like why why do you want to do that um why don't you want want to give it a go um and it's so funny it's like if you were like someone was like oh I I don't really want to bungee jump nobody would be like why 
why don't you just give it a go give it do a little bungee jump see how you like it like no and I knew that elective cesareans were much easier and in many ways and, and safer than emergency I mean emergency cesareans um the clue is in the title that often their administrators went after many hours of difficult labor um and I knew that I didn't want to give it a go and then end up you know having quite a scary situation often I think cesareans are kind of tarred with a brush because all the data on cesareans is both is both emergency and elective so there's no data set for just people who have chosen to have an elective cesarean um so it's like yeah obviously people would be scared of cesarean because a lot of people think well it would be you know terrifying it'd be that you'd be like rushed into surgery and then you know quick slice and out they come and that that can happen that can be a thing but on the whole it isn't um but yeah I guess it was more that a lot of people I found were just a bit confused by that decision and a bit um surprised I don't know whether a lot of people I'm someone who normally does things the hard way and I think a lot of people were quite surprised that I didn't choose to like give birth on my own in the dark in pitch silence like in the hardest circumstances possible just because just because you know you have to prove yourself I was like no for the first time I'm gonna go easy easy as in like I'm gonna go for something that I actually want to do rather than doing something that I feel I should yeah definitely so yeah so you had lots of different people's opinions to battle with um just to to kind of clarify on that point as well it's that like what was I gonna say the only thing really that got me through and made me stick to my guns was that my friend who told me that you can have an elective cesarean was like it is your right to choose like they can't if that's what you want there is nothing that they can do to stop you and I think that was a similar experience that you had at occasion you had to be like no this is my choice it's what I I want fascinating is that legally even if it puts the mother and the baby at risk um you always have the final choice yeah but that is the thing and that's the kind of main thing that I because it is quite scary when you have people that uh, people of medical profession who have been doing this for many years say to you you're more likely to this this is gonna this can be a factor this can this could do because you're kind of conditioned to trust doctors and they're not saying you shouldn't trust doctors but you could it it, it can be quite unnerving to effectively go against what you know people that you trust have got interests at heart are telling you um yeah so you just have to if that's what you want you know and I don't think if if I hadn't known that that it would to me at the end I don't think I would have had the I think I probably would have been persuaded to go for a different means yeah definitely um cool so the next thing I want to ask you about is something that's very unique to you um, but I think was quite a pivotal moment for you. So obviously, Steve, your husband is South African. So you were what eight, seven, eight months pregnant, and you went to South Africa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was. It was the end of November, so I would have been seven-ish, seven-ish months pregnant. And 
obviously it's quite a big trip and it was during kind of this weird kind of kind of co still covid restrictions mm. and stuff um and but it was quite a quite a trip as well quite an yeah it was quite a trip in the end um yeah so it was November, end of November 2021 so Covid was very much still a thing but it kind of died down again and um, we'd had that awful Christmas of 2020 when it was like Christmas was cancelled and whatever and then we'd all been in lockdown until May and then really the summer of that year was quite restrictive free and we'd been to Dubrovnik and like yes you had to do Covid tests and just fly and blah 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 but you didn't have to do yeah, so we had to do COVID test to fly out. Um, but at the, the point that we flew out, you didn't need to do a COVID test to come back in. So there were those restrictions were lighter, um, caveating. But yeah, I was quite heavily well, I was seven seven months pregnant. Again, my parents were like, Why are you going? Um but Steve hadn't been home for nearly two years. Um, my pregnancy was very Pro like non-problematic I barely even looked pregnant like I look as pregnant now as I did the seven months pregnant I'm not joking like there's pictures of me that I'm like that just looks like I've eaten a pizza for lunch um <laughs> I was like I was fine I was absolutely yeah. fine um so we got on the flight on a Monday night um Omnicron at that point didn't exist it wasn't in the British media was nowhere Tuesday we landed and the South Africans were like oh have you heard of this new variant that's in the country and we're like no and I honestly hadn't heard of it and by uh, the because the South Africans have got a great kind of research because of all the AIDS and um, research that they do over there they have kind of quite a good viral research set up um, and they had found this new variant um, and that was Omicron and by the Thursday night they'd closed the borders <laughs> um and it was just such a shock because ev the uk government had been notoriously slow at closing the, the borders to everywhere i mean at the beginning with china i think they were letting people come in and out of china into the uk for like months and there was pakistan there was mexico there was all these other countries that they would keep open doors open to them for months so it was like well even the consideration was like even if you know, some random variant, which it was, came out of the blue. Like, we'd, I was only going for six nights. So it's like, well, I'll be able to get home. Um, yeah. But they announced it at like 7 p.m. on the Thursday night, and there are only flights out of South Africa in the evenings, and they were closing the borders at midnight the following night. So basically, unless you were on the flight before they'd even announced that they were closing the borders, you weren't getting out of South Africa. There was one flight that we found that was via um, Paris. And we booked onto that, but they'd um that didn't fly in the end because they the whole of Europe basically closed its borders to South Africa because it was the South African variant, even though it was found in the UK about twenty four hours, <laughs> so it was it could have been anywhere. Yeah. Um, so we were out in South Africa, um, and yeah, kind of a bit stuck. Um, and then my so that was obviously just quite scary because. Not so much that I thought I was going to go into labour, but it was more that airplanes don't let you fly past a certain point uh, when you're pregnant. Or they you yeah. pay, but you get insurance. And um, at one time, it's like we never knew how long something was going to go on for, how long you'd be locked down for. It's like we might be stuck. I might have, basically it was like, well, I might have to have this baby over here. Um, which 
again, we're fortunate that it wasn't a random country. It wasn't like we were in, I don't know, Brazil. Like we were around friends and family, so that's okay. And the private healthcare system in South Africa is very good and quite cheap. So it wouldn't have actually been the end of the world, but it was still quite a big thing. Um, and I think everyone was a bit like, well, we might not see Lizzie again before she has the baby. Um, and then my beloved managed to go out late at night and was an idiot and got stabbed. <laughs> So that was another element of... That's so blasé. <laughs> I mean, obviously it's not blasé. It was ridiculous. But I think the point being was that uh, it was the time. And he had... Basically, there was a curfew in South Africa at that point. Um, it was one of the COVID measures. He'd gone out with his boys because he was like, well, we're going to be stuck here for a bit. Like, we may as well go out. And obviously, I'd not, I'd gone out for a bit, but then gone home because I was, wasn't able to drink. And also, I was like, well, will you go and see your, your friends and whatever? Um, and he went back. The, all the bars closed at 10, which they do. And rather than wanting to go home, he went to his friend's house. And then there was no, there's no Ubers. Like, they just basically, the whole place was, was closed down. And he decided to walk back, which in he was like, well, I wanted to get back to you and the baby. But in hindsight, obviously, it would have been much better for him to have crashed out on someone's, like, to obviously message, but because he was walking home uh, with a friend and they got attacked on the streets. Um, so I think the point was I was so cross with him because he was very fortunate. He was stabbed three times, but in areas that were very fixable. Um, but I was like, I could have woken up that morning having been stuck in a foreign country and you and you not know where you are and someone could have found you dead in a ditch. Like, mm -hmm. it's not funny anymore. It, like, you know, it's not just me. And also when you're there, kind of out there and, you know, some people had said, oh, you're a bit silly. Is that not very far to go when you're that pregnant? And you kind of been, oh, it's fine. You know, <laughs> it yeah. was kind of like, actually, it was very stupid and very irresponsible to do that because you know I think up until the point you have a child even if you're married even if you've been married several times even if you've got big responsible jobs you're responsible for yourself and not for someone else really like you know you're responsible in, in some way for your, your partner and your friends and you know you have a responsibility a duty of care to people but not in the same way as when you have a baby so that was very much a kind of like right well this is this is it now you know this is not just about you and me and this is not just about us going out and having fun this is about our lives changing quite significantly yeah yeah it was hell and then you managed to get back mm. We got back at the beginning of November, uh, December on a repatriation flight, <laughs> quite something. Um, and then they, it was supposed to be that we uh, we were supposed to go to a quarantine hotel for, um, I think it was like two weeks. But I don't quite know. It was a combination of things. One, that Steve was stabbed. Two, that I was quite pregnant. And B, that I'm a journalist and I wrote a piece about it and have contacts in the Department of Health, which is corrupt really in that it's not fair that I because of what I do and because I know the right people um I probably got out of it but we managed to avoid the quarantine hotel we had to isolate at home on our own but that was obviously much better um and also I had friends like you and everyone who was literally I think everyone bloody in the country every every embassy knew who we were everyone knew what the situation yeah, I, I called the Irish embassy I remember and we call because Steve, my husband, is half Irish, so we called the Irish, we called the English, we called the 
everyone basically um and we got an exception which was great because also it's like sending a heavily pregnant woman into a hotel full of people that probably got a virus it's like you're bound to get it so yeah so that was a bit of a kind of rocky end to it and there was a bit of other context in that my husband changed jobs at the end of it and wasn't very happy of my pregnancy wasn't very happy and also he needed to drive when he was <laughs> when he got home um and he was self-employed at that point and couldn't drive because of his stabbing so I spent basically the last four weeks of my pregnancy driving him around to jobs <laughs> the, not the best but you know I was do you think that had any effect on anything? Like, obviously, it was horrible at the time, but I don't know. Do you think you were... Did it make anything different? I guess it's because you had a cesarean, it wasn't going to affect anything like the birth. Um, what, the the situation in South Africa? Or yeah, Steve? going all through all of that. Um, well, I mean, it could have done in that I could have gone into... Labor. I could have been so stressed that I got into early labour and we could have had a very premature baby. But um, I don't think it, I mean, it definitely impacted us psychologically for a while, but not because of that. And I think we were quite keen to get that sorted. Um, we obviously we saw therapists and stuff quite rapidly, whereas I'm not sure whether we would have done. <laughs> and that you probably would have been like, oh, well, we'll just see how we go for a while. But because we were like, well, we can't be like scared to leave the house. Um uh, I definitely, the end of my pregnancy, I definitely hunkered down more than I probably would have done. Yeah. I don't know. I had like a non, I had like a meetup in a pub uh, about two weeks before I was going to have the baby. But um, I didn't really see anyone over that period, which is nice in a way, because it kind of forced me to calm down a bit. But um, the, and actually I just remembered it did, it did affect it in that when I got back, they were worried about Cora's growth. Oh, yeah. Um... Say that again. She hadn't. She hadn't grown enough, or what was deemed to be enough, <laughs> um, because they measured. Um, interject here and say you do have uh, an objectively longer torso. <laughs> yeah. So it's one of those things about body shapes. On this podcast, in the like show notes or like in the like Instagram, if you make one, you should like put a picture of me when I was seven and a half months pregnant. Because honestly, I'm not lying. Like I, 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 yeah, um, and it was. And anyway, when they when they test see how bit much you've grown, they measured the outside of your bump. And she was, and it wasn't by much, but it wasn't. But so I had a growth scan there, and it was they were fine with it. But I don't know whether that was because we'd been quite stressed. Um, but I mean, she came out at seven pounds on the dot. So and she was a week early because you have an elective cesarean at nine thirty nine weeks. So she would have been eight pounds. She probably would have been well if I if I'd gone into labour naturally at what forty one and a half. I think she would have been eight and a half pounds, which is she was fine um but yeah so I don't think it massively made an impact I think it was just a kind of you get tested through your through your life don't you and it was definitely a bit of a testing time so tell us a little bit about um the cesarean and the day of it or the night before and what's the process what what do you have to do for the, anyone who doesn't know the kind of, yeah. process of an elective cesarean so when you have an elective cesarean on the NHS they again they kind of keep you in the like will we let you do it will we won't for a while by the end of December I knew the date that I was going to have 
the baby um but I didn't have a choice in what that date was um they just do it they did it on the on my day that a change went up or down went up a week or whatever was a Thursday so it was Thursday the 27th of of uh, January that I was told because you do an elective cesarean at 39 weeks so you don't risk going into labour and then having to have an emergency situation um so I knew that by the end of December um and then I went on maternity leave three days before <laughs> I went off work on the Friday and she was born on the Thursday um which actually for me worked because I'd I'd had like we'd had Christmas off we'd got ourselves sorted I hadn't really left the house for a couple of months to be honest so I'd like everything was set and I think if I from home right so you yeah 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 because again it was all locked down again because Omicron had spiked and there was loads of restrictions again around kind of January December January and that was the main worry was that we'd be going into hospital and there being loads of COVID again, or loads of staff closures. And actually by the end of November, end of January, when Cora was born, it was all right. Again, it kind of spiked. I think if you talk to people who had babies at the end of mid to late December, early January, kind of of the 2021, 22, they had some pretty hairy experiences with just lack of stuff because everyone was off. Um, which again, it just goes to prove that a lot of it is is luck of the draw, which is awful. But like it kind of depends on what your um what your where where you give birth, like so many things can play a part in, in a birth and how it can impact it. But um so anyway, so about a week before you go and do tests that you do when you have a um an operation. So you make sure that you haven't got any problems any blood problems any diseases that would impact it which you didn't and then you have some drugs uh the night before I think night before in the morning of and you're nil by mouth from 8 p.m the night the day the night before so the 26th of January and it's so weird like everyone's like oh yeah at least you can get some sleep because you know you're not going to be laboring or whatever and you're like well no because you're literally in bed like I'm going to have a baby in 12 hours. I'm going to have a baby in 10 hours. I'm going to have a baby in eight hours. So I didn't get much sleep. Um, there's pictures of me and I finally look quite pregnant the day, <laughs> the day before I gave birth. Um, yeah, and you ring up at six o'clock-ish and they give me the wrong number to call the ward. <laughs> so I was ringing and I was like, well, I don't really know what to do. Like, do we go in? eventually like found a different number and I was like hi I'm due an elective cesarean because I think basically if they've got like a backlog of women basically from overnight they kind of tell you to come in a bit later but they went in it was a fine so I went in what time did you get into the hospital seven eight in the morning um and you get in and they allow well it might be different in different trusts but in our trust they have three elective cesareans a day um, and then obviously multiple however many emergencies so there was the three of us so I think well, I don't we didn't all sit together that'd be a bit weird but um <laughs> you're in different rooms and they come in and they put you in the gown your compression socks and whatever and talk you through it make you sign your indemnity forms that you know say you might be paralyzed you might this sort of blah 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 whatever and then they were like right well you're second up because there's a lady with twins who's going ahead of you so you know settle in you'll be here probably about lunchtime you'll go down fine and I was so hungry because 
I'd kind of got into this habit of eating quite a lot early because of all the sickness. And I was there, like, not, I can't eat anything until lunchtime. But no, I'm like, damn it. Right, so Steve was like, go and have some food. So Steve went off to the canteen. And then they were like, oh, change plan, you're going first? And I was like, what? Okay, uh, my husband's. And then, like, in comes Steve with, like, a bag of, like, cheap hospital sandwiches and fruit and um loads of mini eggs because I basically only ate mini eggs when she was actually born and then we were like they were like quick 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 and that was the only point where it was like a bit like oh okay and then Steve had to get into scrubs and and then I was pushed up uh, so I can walk no did I walk I think I walked I think you walk up and then I oh god I can't remember I think you walk up because it's a bit weird because it's like this is our last like walk before we have like, everything <laughs> the last the last poo the last sandwich whatever um I think the last meal we had I had sushi I was a bad person but I was like well the baby's coming in 12 hours <laughs> no no not just before I think it's absolutely fine what's it gonna do <laughs> anyway sushi and white wine it's like well the baby's fully cooked so there's nothing I can do now um anyway so you sit you go into theater and there was loads of people in there it's about 10 or 12 people all different don't know what they did like there was trainees there was all sorts of things um and you they've got the radio on and they're all just kind of doing their thing and welcome you in they're like you're gonna meet your baby blah blah blah, blah. and then you sit on the side of the bed and they because you've got like an open gown and the guy the anaesthetist was like i'm gonna get a trainee to do this and you're like what <laughs> <laughs> you're gonna get a trainee to put you know paralyzing liquid into my spine sure okay um and then you could feel them like poking around a bit she was like in there and he was like no not in there and it's like oh my god okay right fine um and then yeah they they basically put the uh spot you put your spinal in and then you lie down and they're like they spray water like cold water on you and you can it's weird like you can you can't feel it at all you can hear it and you, but you can't feel it at all oh, yeah yeah, because you're just like there and then you're and I've got weirdly, I've got quite low blood pressure, which my family have all got high blood pressure. So you get a bit shaky and a bit like Ugh, and you feel really cold. Or I did felt quite cold. Um, but yeah, and then they kind of off they go and they put the screen up um, and then they make an decision. And someone had told me before, it's like someone doing the washing up on your tummy. So it's like you definitely can feel them like reaching around, <laughs> which is quite an odd sensation um yeah and then they pulled her out and there's uh, another picture or video of her sat up inside your tummy so her legs inside poking up towards my boobs as it were my chest and then she's up to her stomach in my stomach (laughs) (laughs) um screaming did you watch that did you have the curtain up or down did you didn't we have the curtain up it wasn't offered to me to have it down um I'm not sure I would have this time if I have another I would be I'd be happy to do it but I think the first time I think I found it quite unusual yeah I mean it is yeah definitely I would have wanted and I'm not I'm not the most like I don't love that sort of thing I'm quite squeamish um but anyway but Steve was filming it they said I couldn't film it either because of the um privacy of the people in there but the guy, the um, Obney or whoever, the surgeon was like, Dad, stand up. You know, you can take videos. And he was, he was loving it. So, and we didn't know what we were having. So at that point, she was just, uh, all you can hear on the video is me going, What is it? What is it? <laughs> <laughs> Can't see her genitalia at that point. So, um, yeah. And then she came out and we found out she was a girl. 
and then she was weighed and they don't do any I'd again I'd said like oh if I ideally would like some delayed call camping and whatever and it was just ignored <laughs> so yeah she was like cut straight away I don't think Steve even cut the maybe cut, I cut, I'd have to ask Steve I don't know if he actually cut the umbilical cord then they weighed her and often they do quite a few checks basically they take the babies out of cesareans and they take them away very briefly because they want to make sure that they can breathe properly and haven't got fluid on the lungs it's quite common for them to have fluid on the lungs because they haven't been through a yeah, they haven't been squeezed out of them. Um, anyway, so yeah, so then they take her away and then they kind of put her on your chest, which is odd because obviously it's quite high up. Because <laughs> you're like, can't, you can't, you've like got a screen across you from your boob down. So she's like right here, like right around your head almost, like a kind of like ruffle. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then that was that really. And you go into recovery for a bit for like 45 minutes to an hour. And I was just like, please, can I eat something? <laughs> so I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's like yeah, at 11 o'clock by then um and then you feel your legs coming back which just feels like pins and needles but um they don't let you walk until the morning after um they put catheter in and all that sort of thing just to i don't know why they do that actually um because i've seen other people mainly in america they get them up earlier than that but i think it's just to monitor them so yeah and then you go into the ward and you stay there overnight and you were on your own with Cora? Yeah, so because of, COVID, home. because of COVID, basically they were restricting visiting hours. So it was that whatever beds you were in, one to three beds, your visiting hours were the morning, and four to six beds in the ward were afternoon. And we were just lucky that our visiting hours happened to be the afternoon. So basically by the time we got down from uh, surgery... um it was Steve's visiting hour, so well, three hours or whatever. So he actually stayed until about six. But had it been the other way around, he would have had to go straight away. Um, which another woman, the other woman who like across from me, had had that. So basically, they were like, "Here's your baby," and they like wheeled her back down. They were like, "Right, your husband has to go." And she was like, "But what?" And she was like, "They were like, yeah, sorry, your visiting hours finished at eleven, and it's now twelve. So, and he couldn't come back until nine o'clock the next day." Wow. So um, Steve was told to go at like, we were kind of, we were lucky. I think they kind of forgot about us until about six and it was supposed to go at five. And he went. And when you have a cesarean, as I just said, they don't let you walk or move. And when you're in the, like the baby's next to you, but you still have to like move to get them. So you're very much just incapacitated really. Um, But that night was the night that we kind of really bonded. I think there's a lot of narrative around you have this huge rush of oxytocin and you never feel a love like it instantly. And that's personally not what happened for me. It was very much like, a, oh, my God, this has actually happened. Um, but then having that night, it was just us. And it was like, right, well, let's make you against the world then, babes. <laughs> um, so we just had the night together, which, you know, I think it was it was very difficult for Steve as well, obviously, because he would have wanted to be with us rather than being at home drinking whiskey with my mum. <laughs> but, uh, um, but yeah, so it was it was quite something. And uh, I was because you can't move, you have to rely on the staff. So originally I was like I was quite like shy about it to start with, like because you have to ding them, basically. And I was like, oh, well, but then by like three hours in, you're like dinging them all the time. <laughs> like trying to get them to come because you can't do anything you can't like pick her up you can't you know you can't feed you, well you can put her on your boob but you can't feed yourself you can't feed her and whatever um 
And Zeno subsequently met another woman who had a baby on the same day in the same ward. And she was like, there was no staff. And I was like, it's probably me. <laughs> probably me away being like I need help again she was like oh nobody saw me for like hours and I was like sorry they were <laughs> they were changing my catheter <laughs> um, but yeah but it was it was quite a kind of very much into the into the flames as it were yeah definitely and so let's just look you went home the next day um yeah. and just a little bit maybe about what the recovery was like because I obviously came and visited quite got- soon and you were on your feet and walking around and you didn't seem too bad can you tell us a little bit a sum up of how that kind of recovery process was for you yeah so I got home everyone had been like take more time at the hospital if you need to um but I'd wanted to get out as soon as possible because hospital wards maternity wards are awful they're boiling hot with six other women with lovely lovely newborn screaming babies um like you just want to get out there and you want to be at home um so they kind of in order to go you have to have gone for a wee I think without having once you've catheters out and stuff um and she latched on and was was feeding okay very luckily so they were kind of quite happy with her and also I think I was fortunate in that the day she was born was quite quiet but the Friday like by the time we were discharged at maybe three or four o'clock by that point they were busy and I think they were like right this woman's all right let's get rid of her sort of thing which I think actually played into my my favor so we came home so you get they get you up in the morning because they want to make sure there's no problems um so I've been walking around and had felt uncomfortable like uncomfortable (laughs) don't get me wrong but it wasn't wasn't bad I was I don't they give you a lot of drugs you're on a lot of you have drugs all through the night you constantly on painkillers and lots of codeine and stuff um and you have these injections for blood thinners and stuff as well so you're very much drugged up to the eyeballs and I've been very like vigilant with it um and then uh so this got home on the Friday afternoon and I think it was that that evening was the most uncomfortable um just kind of feels like you just had well you have just had surgery on your stomach so it just means that you can't move much but I was very fortunate in that that was it was like I all I remember really is that night being quite uncomfortable but then actually being fine um and I know again other people have very different experiences but it is the difference between an emergency and 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 an elective in some ways because I knew for nine months that that's what was coming I could physically and mentally prepare for that yeah whereas if expecting it I think a lot of the time it's the psychological that for of emergency cesareans that's the problem because that has such an impact on you physically as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, the pain was was manageable. The pooing afterwards was not um, <laughs> because you've got so much codeine in your system, and I didn't realise that codeine really bungs you up. So um, I didn't was- know that. No. Yeah, and like. <laughs> I think the health visitors or whoever came like the day off, I was like, I don't know when. And I was like, I haven't been for a poo yet. It wasn't that long. It was maybe 24 to 48 hours, but it felt like I needed to go for the toilet. And then <laughs> I thought, oh, it kind of, it hurts. I, I like, I, even when I sit on the loo, like it just feels like that's too scary. <laughs> um, and they were like, well, just hold your scarf. <laughs> so I just remember sitting on the toilet, like, with your legs your feet slightly raised holding your scar because it feels like you're going to burst like that's the thing like mm. anyway that was the worst the, the poo and I think I told him 
other people that you've interviewed on this podcast already about I was like make sure you take some laxatives with you to the hospital <laughs> because yeah don't be shy um but yeah the recovery is actually fine um I and then you have a check on your scar and stuff a few days later I think it's day five they check you as well as the baby um they were fine there was one point that we were a bit concerned about a bit of it but it was it was fine um and it looked a bit sore um but no I didn't have any problem with that um and yeah I was fine I was like I was walking I was driving they tell you not to drive for six weeks I think I drove after about two or three <laughs> um yeah must check with your insurer it's <laughs> all about insurance. it's it's basically they said as long as you can lift both legs both feet off the floor at once then you're you're good to drive because you have to be able to emergency stop so yeah so I was at <laughs> of course that makes a lot of sense okay amazing that's been really really useful um really really interesting so I'd like to finish with three questions for you which um and the first one is if you have do you have any a top tip or a bit of advice for your former self for any of this journey yeah take laxatives to the hospital <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, no the serious one would be that um just to try and take sorry my dog is going mental just to try like I think I think one of the hardest things was the kind of initial judgment I think once I kind of discussed with people why I wanted to have a cesarean people kind of came around to it um but the initial judgment was quite tricky um and you kind of just feel a bit like people think you're lazy and I think the my advice to myself would be like just (laughs) There's a lot, you'll be judged a lot when you're pregnant, when you have, how you have the baby and how you raise your baby, you will be judged a lot and you just will. And it's just the the nature of the beast, very sadly. And I think just to try and let that be water off the duck's back, really, just to try and ignore it. Yeah, fair enough. Very good. Um, So second question is, um, what's the kind of best thing or one thing that you've done that you're proud of that you've done one handed with baby in hand? apparently when a friend of ours came and visited and I answered the door and I was holding the dog with one hand and Cora was on the boob with the other and I don't know how that even happened but I feel like that's quite me that's impressive <laughs> with a staffy <laughs> and I like opened the door and then held the dog and was like come in um yeah otherwise I guess making a sandwich is quite hard one-handed definitely when you learn how to do that yeah uh okay good and finally what food um have you dropped on Cora so uh, it's a conversation for another time but um I I breastfed for three months but not never exclusively um my supply wasn't fantastic so um we bottle we kind of combi fed for a while and then went to bottles um and so it's a little bit of a different cat of fish because you have, when you're feeding a bottle, obviously you don't have hands free to be able to eat. Um, but definitely, she definitely had some sort of tomato sauce on her head, uh, probably beans, probably. I'm thinking it's like some delicious tomato pasta sauce, but in reality it was probably beans. <laughs> um, and definitely there's a picture of her that I've sent you that's... Um, uh, with uh, a muslin on her head because we were having a barbecue, so burger. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. And so reflecting on everything you've uh, spoken about today, is there anything that you've missed or that you'd like to add? No, I think um, 
I think the main takeaway is that you just got to do, you've got to give birth in the way that you, if possible, in the way that you most feel comfortable. Obviously, not, not everyone gets that. I'm very, very fortunate that I had a very, the birth I wanted and then it was what I expected because you can have the birth you want and it not be what you expect and you can have the birth that you expect and it not be right I don't know like you know what I mean but um I think just if you're pregnant and thinking about how you want to birth just you know stick with it you will if you if you want to have some if you want to have a birth a particular kind of birth then then hopefully god willing you will yeah fantastic okay thank you so much Thank you for joining us on A Village. Please share with others. And if you want to get in touch or tell me your birth story, contact a.village.honest.stories at gmail.com. Until next time, bye. As you can probably tell, I'm building this podcast alone in my spare time around looking after Tiggy. Want to support? You can sign up for a membership or buy me a coffee by searching for A Village on ko-fi.com or find the link in the podcast description. Thank you for your support.